It's great to be here with you this morning. My name's John, and uh, yeah, such a privilege to have you here, whether it's your first time or you come every week. It's so good to be together and uh, yeah, really uh, enjoy God and enjoy being with one another. Now, I want to ask you a question. Has anyone here ever started a bit of a fitness kick and then just failed miserably? Anyone ever done that? Kind of had really good intention. Had a lot of hands going up. A lot of hands. I've been there. The first time I ever joined the gym, I was like, all right, I'm walking somewhere next to a gym, so there's no excuse now. And they had one of those deals. You either pay kind of twice as much for the rolling monthly contract, or you get the 18-month deal, and it's slightly cheaper. And I thought, well, I like saving money, and surely if I get the 18-monther, then I'll have to go, because I'll feel like, ah, I can't waste that money. Anyone know? Anyone been there? (laughs) So... I've got the 18 months there, and uh, in the 18 months I was a member of the gym, bearing in mind it was next to my workplace, I went seven times in 18 months. It was horrible. So I thought, hey, gym's not maybe my scene. Uh, Running, like everyone seems to be getting to running these days. It's just become very, I don't know, trendy to run. So I was like, I'm going to get into running. But I can't just be using the kind of like AstroTurf trainers I use for football. I need to get proper running shoes. Like then I'll want to get out and I won't get blisters and it's better for your knees. And I read some blog post about something or other, get good running shoes. So I went to one of those slightly intimidating running shops where everyone's really athletic and there's all these very expensive trainers on the wall by brands you don't recognize. And I did this special test where they told me that my left arch was too big and my right heel was too small and all that sort of stuff. And they, they picked out the perfect shoes for me, which, interestingly enough, were one of the more expensive pairs, but I thought, hmm, I need this for my knees, obviously, and it will make me run more. So I bought a pair of uh, Brooks, I don't know that brand, Brooks trainers, and uh, I think I wore them a total of three times before giving up on running, and they look a little bit worn. That's maybe the, the, the age of them over about the last six or seven years, and I did go paintballing in them once, so you could say they were a worthwhile investment, but I'm not convinced. Well, we've got a lot of amazing athletes in this church. I know uh, we've got quite a lot of different people really into their sports. We've got people like Steve Nimmo. Steve Nimmo who has run, I had to check this with his wife, 66 marathons. Mad, mad, mad. Including the recent one. Bearing in mind, he did this a week before the London Marathon because it's casual. He did an ultra marathon, which was 56 miles. That's over double the London Marathon. Then he came back and a week later did London, you know, just like for desserts after the main course, like as you do. And then there's Simon Fox, who some of you will know, who's been riding across the globe to raise awareness and finances for IJM, International Justice Mission. Now, he cycled over the last eight months 12,000 miles across the globe from here to the Philippines. And just because that wasn't really challenging enough, occasionally on the way, he would stop off and do a marathon, just kind of for a bit of an extra challenge. We've got some amazing athletes. We've got people like Joe Simu, who... um, Yeah, we've got some great athletes here in church. (laughs) That's harsh. That was harsh. That was harsh, but deserved. Um, Now, (laughs) all athletes have a goal. All athletes have a goal. They fight for it. And the Bible talks over and over again about goals and running towards them. And the passage we're going to look at today in Philippians is talking all about that. So we're going to be continuing on in the book of Philippians that we've been exploring every week. And we're going to be starting in chapter 3, 
verse 12. And this is written by the Apostle Paul, who's currently in prison. And this is writing to a church in Philippi, him giving instructions about how to live the Christian life. So Philippians 3, verses 12 to 18. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul's first point is this. Your goal affects how you run. Your goal affects how you run. Paul talks about straining forward. He talks about pressing towards the goal. And he's saying life is like a race. And your goal, where you're going towards, your finish line affects how you run. So two questions this presents us with this morning. Really want you just to be kind of thinking this through as we go through this passage. Two questions. First of all, what is your goal? What is your goal? And secondly, how are you running towards it? What's your goal and how are you running towards it? Now, you can see someone's goal by how they live. You can tell what someone's goal is by how they live. People want to be rich or attractive, or successful, or needed, or loved, or fit, or respected. And you can see that in their lives, because we we run hard for these goals, don't we? We run hard for them. Open any newspaper, and you'll see articles and ads telling you countless ways that you can increase your finances, ways that you can find love, you can live longer, you can get tanned, get slimmer, you can get that better house you've always dreamed of and these can be good things they're not necessarily bad things often they're very good things but the problem is those goals never fully satisfy they never bring the fulfillment that we so desperately hope that they will because they're temporary and unstable all it takes is for the crash of a housing market or the crash of a car, the death of a loved one, the call from the doctor, the result that you've got cancer, or just the aging process and sickness and aches and pains to kick in, and those goals that you strived so hard for are suddenly out of reach. And it's not just reaching goals and, and, and not attaining our goals and, and struggling to make it that causes us to feel a lack of fulfillment and to struggle in life. It's also when we achieve them. So many people fight, fight, fight to get to a goal and then suddenly they they get past the finish line and they think, wait, is this it? Is this what I fought for year after year after year, gave all that time and money and energy and emotion, is this it? And the trophy feels so hollow. 
Why do you think it is that so many rich and successful people, the people we're desperate to be like, the, the famous people, the celebrities we spend all our hours looking at and, and, and dreaming we could be like, why do you think that so many of them are deeply depressed and addicted to numbing substances? Because those things, even when you reach them, those goals don't satisfy. And Paul is saying there's only one thing, one goal that will give you the fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And he says that one thing is Jesus. Is Jesus. He is the only thing, the only goal, the only finish line that will give what you're looking for. Because Jesus gives us a lasting peace, a foundation on something certain that can't crumble or be taken away. He gives us a home in heaven, not just, you know, a nice property here in Sidcup or Chislehurst or wherever it might be. He gives us property, a home for eternity, where there'll be complete peace and joy and no more worries about politics or finances or family, but just complete peace, complete joy forever and ever and ever without getting bored or getting worried if it's going to come to an end. That's the prize. That's the goal. Jesus is our goal. And for some, you can see that finish line that day, and it it doesn't seem too far away. For others, it just seems like a distant, you know, off in the far, far away. But don't be confused. Don't ignore it. That day, that finish line is coming. It's coming. And Paul says, we are to run towards it. He says in verse 13, if if you've got your Bibles with you, he says, strain towards it. He says in verses 12 and 14, he says this phrase twice, press on towards it. Now that, uh, in that context, in their culture, press on was a hunting term. It's what they say, hey, guys, keep pressing on till we've caught that animal that we're chasing. Press on. Don't give up until you've reached it. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Now, for those who were here last week, or maybe for those who are a little bit into their theology, you might say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop for a second there. Now, last week, I remember the talk, I remember the sermon, and I'm pretty sure Paul, in the verses before this, was saying, people who try to work, work, work to earn their salvation are dumb. It's stupid. Why are you trying to work, work, work to earn your salvation? And then we're reading these verses this week, and he's saying things like, well, I obviously haven't obtained perfection. He says, press on. He said, stand firm. He said, hold on, strain forwards. There's all these doing words. So if salvation and perfection isn't about what we do, then why is he talking so much about what we do? And I used to find passages like this quite confusing. And it didn't really uh, sit kind of well with me. It seemed inconsistent with my understanding of salvation and of God's grace. And I used to say things like, what you do doesn't matter. Stop striving. And I was, I was partly right, and I had a good heart, and uh, I, I kind of was trying to say things that I understood from Scripture, but such sentiments and statements were overly simplistic. And I was picking and choosing verses. Now, it's clear, very clear from Scripture that we're saved by repenting and believing. Verses like the one that Yemi read at the beginning of the meeting today, so important to us. Ephesians 2, it says, For grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not, 
your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Important we don't lose sight of that. It talks about repentance and the gift of God. But repenting means turning, not just turning, but walking away, moving in a new direction. And so Ephesians 2 continues. The verse doesn't end there. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The sign and outworking of our salvation is not that we said a quick prayer, but that we start moving, that we start walking, that we start running towards God. Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Now, I love that statement, but that statement is only part of what he said. When we read the full thing in John 8, Jesus said to us how the truth will set us free. He says this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To be a disciple of Jesus means what? To abide in the truth, to live it, to live it, to love it, to walk in it, to walk with Jesus. There's a movement towards him, and often that movement does start with a prayer. It's saying, today is the day I change the direction I'm going. But then it continues with a lifetime of taking one step at a time towards Jesus. That's the life of a follower of Jesus. And, and Jesus and Paul are both saying, don't make one of two mistakes. Don't think that either your actions are not important at all or that your actions mean everything. Know that you're saved by the gift of grace and that we are to hold tight to what we have attained and press on to make it our goal, to make it our own. So how do we do that? Paul's kind of set up the picture of the goal and what we're aiming towards. So how do we do it? Does he just say, hey, good luck, guys. All the best. I'll be praying for you. No, no, thankfully, he gives us some pretty practical advice. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at today. So I keep reading in the passage in Philippians from verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Love that. Paul shares three ways that you can run your race well. Three things, imitate, train, and focus. Imitate, train, and focus. First of all, imitate. In verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, my friend Abby has recently got into running. 
And she's trying to improve her times and her fitness and her speed. And she was saying about how she struggles to run on her own, but when she's in a group, she just seems to run so much faster. And that's such an amazing lesson to us. It's such a great example to us, not in the, just the spiritual, but in, in the physical, but in the spiritual. When we're around people who are running in the same direction, it pushes us forwards, doesn't it? It pushes us to do things and encourages us to do things that we wouldn't do otherwise. Whenever I'm around Simon Fox, this amazing cyclist and runner, when I see how healthy he eats or how he manages his time, make sure he gets enough sleep and water and enough training, it inspires me. I mean, I'll be honest, when I look at him, I'm like, yeah, I'm miles off what you are. But when I think, hey, if, if I'm with you and you're making that choice, what, why can't I? I mean, I, I'm a human too. Like, why don't I try that? Or when I go to the gym with a guy in the church called, called Sam. I mean, Sam is twice as big as me. He's a lot, lot stronger than I am. When we go to the gym together, I look at how he does his exercises. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, your technique is so much better than mine. I look at his routines and how he doesn't just go on his phone between every rep and kind of just chill out a little bit. He pushes himself. I see when I get on the bench and I'm about to pick up a weight, he's like, what are you doing? You can lift a lot more than that. And he pushes me and encourages me. And when I'm struggling on that last rep, he's lifting up my arms. There's something about being in community that makes us stronger. And the message is this. Paul is saying, if you want to run your race well, you need to be in relationship with other Christians. You need to be in a community where there's people who are going to help you run better, run faster, run further. And this is so pivotal to our race with God that if you're only around Christians, around church, around Christian community and relationship every so often, that you struggle to run. If it's just a now and again thing, Paul's saying, just like in regular training, physical training, you're going to struggle to run well. And the question that Paul is asking is, who are you imitating? Who are you looking towards? Who are you in community with? Now, the flip side of that question is what? Who is imitating you? Who is imitating you in your life? In this church, in this room right now, is an immense wealth of wisdom and experience and maturity. People who've been through so much in life and have so much to offer. And one of the saddest things to see is when someone with such a a wealth of wisdom and experience isn't feeding that into anyone else. So sad to see when you've got so much to give. And Paul is saying, who is imitating you? Who are you bringing on the race towards Jesus with Who's alongside you? I just want to encourage you. This isn't just something that will bless the person you bring along, but it will bless you. As you're training someone and reminding them of who God is, it reminds you of what you have. So I just want to encourage you. Maybe for some this is the only application you take away, and that would be amazing. If in your life right now there's no one you're feeding into that's running beside you, behind you, that you're trying to help, Go away today and say, God, who can that be? Who can I help run this race? You might say, well, uh, I'm young. Well, invest in our students. We've got tons of them. You say, well, I'm a a student. Well, invest in the youth. You say, I'm a youth. Well, get involved in the kids' work like many of the other young people do. Who are you running with? 
So first of all, imitate. Secondly, train. I used to play for an 11-a-side football team, and we had some pretty decent players, but we always seemed to lose. I don't think we ever got above second bottom in the table. It was embarrassing. It was really, really bad. And the interesting thing was, so we had these great players, and when it came to match day, we'd always have far too many people. It was a nightmare for the, the manager because he had to pick, okay, we've only got 14 slots. There's about 20 guys who want to play. It was a nightmare on Saturdays. But when it came to training, we struggled to even get enough people to show up to, to do anything. I remember showing up and there'd be three or four of us and we're like, what drills do we, headers and volleys again? Like, what is it today? We struggled to even get over five people for training. Now, when it came to Saturdays, to match day, we'd all be shouting at each other and angry and confused and annoyed about why we couldn't defend corners or why our offside trap was so poor and our defensive line was all over the place or how about 50 minutes in, when the halftime oranges had worn off, how we're struggling to keep running and track back and how all of a sudden we can't cross properly or shoot properly. And we're like, what's going on? And are we shouting? We're a Christian team, ironically. We're all shouting at each other like, what are you doing? Now, here's the thing. All of the things that we were annoyed about, we couldn't do better, are all improved on the training ground. And the thing is, all of us wanted to win but none of us wanted to train. All of us want to get to the, the prize and get the glory, but none of us want the sacrifice and effort that goes on behind the scenes. And that was a really powerful message to me. And I have, I have friends who box, I have friends who run, and if you do too, you'll know they'll talk about times where they're in training. They're in training. They're being intentional about living in a way in which will best equip them to be stronger, faster, and fitter. And as Christians, we're in a race, we're in a fight. Whether you realize it or not, we're in a battle and a race running towards a goal. And just the same as it is in marathon training, it's the same in life. You don't drift towards strength. You don't do nothing and then all of a sudden find that you're doing better. And a key thing to remember is you never reach a point where you're finished with your training. I think one of the temptations for some of us who've been in church for years and years and years is we can hear talks like this, you're like, oh, I hope those new believers are listening, the guys who are, you know, coming along the last few weeks, this is great for them. And we need to remind ourselves that this is all coming from the Apostle Paul. Now, I don't know if you know the history of Paul, the number of churches he planted, he wrote large parts of the Bible. If Paul says he needs to keep training, may I suggest that it's probably important for the rest of us too. And in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They, they do it to, to receive a perishable prize, a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Have you ever noticed about how our mind and our emotions and our, uh, our bodies seem to uh, wander a little bit? Have you ever noticed that? We naturally live dictated to by our urges and impulses. We choose instant gratification over delayed gratification, settling for less now rather than waiting 
for something better later. Have you ever noticed that? Happens all over the place. And Paul recognized this. He says, uh, in verse 19, he says, uh, their God is their belly. It's the reason why we eat and drink things that taste good in the moment, but we know are unhealthy for us and will cause problems down the line. It's why we watch things late at night that make us feel good, but we know aren't doing us good. It's why we get payday loans to get what we want now, but we know are going to cause all sorts of headaches later on. It's why we have sex outside the covenant of marriage, because sex is easy and long-term commitment takes hard work. It's why we need to train and discipline ourselves. And there's various ways that we can do that. Just practically, exercise is one of them. There's a real link between the way in which we live in the physical that can affect the spiritual. If we learn to discipline our bodies, it can affect how we discipline our mind, our will, and emotions. Another way, the spiritual disciplines, one of the best of which is fasting. Now, as soon as I say that, I have to hold my hands up and be completely honest and upfront. Throughout my life, I have been terrible at fasting. If you want someone to write a book on fasting, it's not going to be John Brown. Like, that's not, I've been awful at this throughout my life. And I felt challenged by it recently. So I've done a bit of research into fasting. I've been really intrigued by what I've found. And what I've found is that throughout most of Christian history, Christians would fast breakfast and lunch one or two days a week. A week. And they did it for many different reasons. They saw the various blessings and benefits of doing it. One of which was that they saw it help them discipline their bodies to conquer the flesh. And so they fasted just like Jesus did. And uh, my brother, he he recently told me that um, he's now fasting one day a week, breakfast and lunch. And my first reaction was, was, I could not do that. I ain't going to do that. No, no, no. And that concerns me. Because it gives me the uncomfortable reminder that I'm not as in control of my body and my urges and my impulses is I'd like to admit or for you to believe. And so we need to look at different ways that we can do this. It's not, it's not comfortable, it's not always easy, it's not sexy to talk about self-discipline. It's not a, a nice subject that you, know, you just talk about all the time. We'd much prefer, let's be honest, we'd much prefer to be able to just come forward in a ministry time. Like my talk ending today, it'd be much easier if it was just, you know, come to the front, we'll pray a prayer, and then you're going to have spiritual muscle. We love that instant solution, don't we? We love it. But that wouldn't give you the deep foundation, the lasting strength that will push you through the highs and the lows of life. And so we need to look at ways. How can we grow in this area to set little goals of self-discipline, little training exercises that we can do? Like I say, I've struggled in this, and I recognized this recently. I could keep moaning about it or giving excuses, or I can try and make some differences. So myself and a couple friends who all realized we had the same problem, we decided to set ourselves a little goal every week. And so it started off, uh, the first week was we fasted caffeine, uh, another week, we fasted hitting the snooze button, no snoozing in the morning. Uh, this past week, 
Uh, we've been doing this for a few months now. This past week, uh, it was fasting social media, BBC News, YouTube, any sort of app that we use to numb or ignore or kind of distract from any loneliness or insecurity or boredom in our lives. That's been the past five, six, seven days for me. And it has been rough. I found it so hard. I hate how much, literally, anytime I'm bored or lonely, insecure, whatever, my first reaction is to pull out my phone. I've deleted the BBC app months ago, but I go on to Chrome on my phone, open it up, type in BBC, click on it. And even though I fasted it this week, I'd probably say I pulled up the BBC page 30 times, something like that. I'm addicted to this thing, and I want to kill it. And you might laugh at me and say, oh, John, you're a bit silly. You're a bit odd. What does BBC News or social media or snooze buttons have to do with anything? Fair enough. Fair enough. But what I've recognized in my own life is what I do in the small decisions has a massive impact on what I do in the big decisions. And you might say, hey, no, I'm cool. I've got self-discipline, but I know I've got to train for this thing. And training is unglamorous, but what you do in the day in, day out, behind the scenes, affects what you do in the significant. What you do in the secret place affects what you do on the stage. What you do in the little decisions affect what you do in the hardest decisions of life. So don't run aimlessly. Don't let your impulses and urges dictate your life. As Paul says, train your body and discipline yourself so that you can run faster and further and freer. And the prize that you're running towards is so worth it. It's so worth it. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to see the World Cup start. I can't wait. I love football. I'm really pumped. I don't think England have got a chance, but I'm still looking forward to it. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to see hundreds of players desperately striving and pressing on and working hard to obtain what? A metal cup. I mean, albeit a pretty impressive metal cup, I would happily have it on my shelf. People pressing, living their lives, straining for a piece of metal. How much more, how much greater, how much Increased in value and worth giving everything for is the prize that we're running towards. The trophy we have, the finish line before us, is far greater. So first of all, imitate. Secondly, train. And third, focus. Paul says, your eyes are either on the things above, the things of heaven, or on the things below, the things of earth. The natural. He's saying, naturally... Our eyes are on the natural. It's why Paul reminds us in verse 20 about where our citizenship is. Where does he say our citizenship is? In heaven. In heaven. And Paul does this regularly throughout his writing because he knows how important it is for us to get that, that knowledge inside of us about where our citizenship is. In, in Colossians 3.22 he says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And it's important to read that because, let's be honest, because it's unseen, it's all well and good me saying this, but because it's unseen, it's hard to focus on, isn't it? I find it difficult. So Paul says, hold true, focus your mind, and fix your eyes on heaven daily. And running towards Jesus is really like running a marathon. I've got with me here, in my little goodie bag, 
Oh, where are we going? Here we go. Simon Fox's London 2017 Marathon Medal. I wish it was mine. It's not. The reason it's not mine is because I haven't run the race. Because it's hard. <laughs> now, if you ask anyone who's running a marathon, you'll know that they have a lot of decisions to make. And there's a decision you have to make on a cold winter's morning when your alarm goes off. And you have a decision to make between the seen and the unseen. The warmth and comfort of your own bed or the future glory that's unseen. You have a choice to make. You can choose that present comfort or the future glory. You can choose the easy road or the finish line. You can focus on the price, the cost, or the prize. As those running towards Jesus, we focus and live in truth daily. In the small things and in the big ones too. And we apply this truth to us every day. In moments like when I look at my budget and think, hmm, I look at that figure that I'm planning to give to church and think, and I've done this, I think, hmm, what could I buy if I didn't give any of that money to church? Moments like when you're tempted in your small group to not talk about your own struggles because, you know, people might think that you're lesser than you actually are or maybe when you're preaching to hide your own struggles or, you know, you've sinned and you know there's someone you should really tell but that's quite a vulnerable experience and I prefer just for people to think I've got it all together. Or when you're tempted at work to cut corners and kind of fudge things a bit because it'll make you a bit more money and save a bit of time. Probably no one will know anyway. When there's an opportunity with your friends to share your faith, then you think, ah, what if it goes badly and it's awkward and they think I'm weird? When I'd prefer to watch TV and chill rather than go to community or to church. When you're tempted to just gossip about that person who does your head in. When you're tempted to not forgive that person who's hurt you so badly. It's in those moments you have to remind yourself, no, I'm running a different race. I'm running towards a different finish line. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a child of God. I'm completely different from the world around me. When you live that way, you're building your life on something that can't be taken away. If you're holding on to the things of the earth, then you're holding on to some, some slippery things. Because all it takes is for an injury or a loved one to leave or a, a job to end. But we are holding on to something sure. We're holding on to Jesus who says, I promise I will never leave you. I promise I will never forsake you. If we fall down, what happens? We get back up. He doesn't scold us or say, you idiot, I'm giving up on you. No, he said, hey, come on, let's keep going. He dusts you off and says, let's keep running. Let's keep running. He's falling over again. Get up. Let's keep running. Let's keep running. Jesus is our example. He's our inspiration. I love Hebrews 12 where it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God.
in front of Jesus, in front of Jesus, the scene was the pain and the torture and the humiliation of the cross. As he note in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the horror of the hours before him started to close in. Don't think, oh, Jesus didn't feel it. No, his body went into shutdown. It was so heavy what he went down. He started to sweat blood. And in that moment, in the anticipation of the suffering that he was about to go through, he wrestled with the idea of, of abandoning, of, of giving up, throwing in the towel, of abandoning the mission. But he knew it was the only way, the only way to achieve his goal. Jesus was focused on something. We just read it in that verse. He was focused on the joy set before him. And what was that joy? What was it that he valued so much that he would endure unimaginable pain and separation from his father? Hmm. That joy, his treasure, his focus was you, was you. Jesus endured the cross and all its shame and suffering for relationship with you, for me. When I focus on the, the sacrifice that, that Jesus made, how can, I, how can I not want to give everything for him? How can I spend my life just being so obsessed with my platform or my possessions or my popularity? In light of all that he's done, it just makes me want to give everything for him. Do you feel that? Do you have that sense within you as you look to Jesus? Don't you just want to say, nothing is off limits. I give everything back to you. I mean, let's be real. You can coast. You can drift through the race of life if you want. There's a chance you'll survive and not fall away. But then you'll see him face to face. You'll see him. You'll stand before him and you'll see the, the holes in his hands. You'll feel the warmth of his presence. You'll know the magnitude of his, his might and his power and his mercy and his love. And in that moment, you're not going to be thinking, I wish I'd been more respected down on earth. I wish I'd... You know, I wish I'd got that bigger house. I, I wish I'd, you know, I'd got more followers online. I, I wish I'd... This. No. In that moment, the bright things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. To think about that day is so important. It's so freeing. And it's so exciting. And it's so countercultural than everyone else around you. Our world is terrified and depressed about the thought of death. But for we, as citizens of heaven, children of God, we long for that day. We long for the day where we get to finally go home. Let's live lives like Paul who ended his saying what? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is a, uh, in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Amen. What's your next step in running the race? For some here today, it's to take the first step 
of running towards Jesus. Today, you can make the best decision you've ever made, which is say, you know, I've been running one way. I'm going to repent, turn around, and start sprinting with everything I've got towards Jesus. For others, the next step is being a bit humble and, and honest and saying, yeah, you know what? I have been coasting. I've drifted. Maybe I've even wandered away. I love where Paul says this. What does he say? He says, I forget what is behind. The promise of Jesus today is that now can be a new day for you. What came before? Hey, forget what's behind and start running today towards Jesus. Get yourself in a community. Start coming regularly on Sunday. Start giving. Start sacrificing. Start training. Start fixing your eyes again on Jesus. And for others, the next step is just to keep running. Some of you have been running year after year after year. You feel the weariness sometimes, the fatigue, the temptation just to give up. God's saying, keep going. Keep fighting the battle. Keep training up younger ones. Keep fighting the good fight and finish the faith well. Let's pray. Thank you, God. And as we pray, we're reminded that God doesn't leave us alone in this race. He gives us a running mate, his spirit, the Holy Spirit. So we come to you now, Lord, and we say thank you. Jesus, as we, as we fix our eyes on you, that you gave everything for us. We're so thankful that when you could have given up, that you could have run away, that you fixed your eyes on us. But we, we look at that and we just say, we want to give everything for you. We want to run hard towards you, Lord. We know heaven's coming one day, but we want to see your kingdom come now. We want more of it today, Lord. So Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength, the strength to run towards you, to fight the good fight, to finish the race and to keep the faith. This is for your glory, Lord. We love that you make us a part of it, that you, you give us so many blessings, but we do it because we love you and want to worship you with everything we've got, because you're worthy. Amen.